you know, for me, entrepreneurialism is about having a number of hamster wheels that you're just nudging so they keep turning, but other people are inside the wheels. Learn modern marketing that you can use to grow your business in today's competitive landscape. This is Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. Welcome to Digital Marketing Masters. I'm your host, Matt Rouse, and today my guest is Ash Taylor. Ash, how are you? I'm good, Matt. How are you, man? I am doing well. Ash is a husband, father, friend, professional business coach, and motivational speaker. And after a successful career as an LTA tennis coach and owner of an award-winning business, he's now a celebrated business coach. Ash, can you tell us a little bit more about what you do? Sure can. So hi, Matt. Thanks for having me on. I run an organization called the Business Clubhouse. And our uh, mission, I, I guess, if you like, is to help as many small business, really micro business owners to feel more empowered about how they run their businesses. So we're passing on our experience, our knowledge to give them the opportunity to run better businesses themselves. And we, we, we kind of work less with the business and more with the business owner. So I, I always talk about the fact that my, my, part, part, my past was as a tennis coach and I never coached a tennis racket or a tennis ball in my life. I worked with players. So my, my kind of attitude is that business is a game and my job is to coach the players of the game of business. Right. And would you say micro business? What kind of size of businesses are we talking about? Mostly like freelancers or I don't know, how would you define that? Yeah, I guess terminology is a different thing, isn't it? In different places. So yeah, uh, typically people we work with are working from home. They're, they're not necessarily startups. They're, they're usually service-based business, service businesses. So they're selling a skill, time for money. It's usually just them. They might have somebody helping them. They're, they're very much kind of what, you know, you might call them solopreneurs. Some have reasonably significant size businesses in their minds, but they are doing everything themselves. So they're your coaches, freelancers, clinicians, you know, solopreneurs, like you said. What do you think the largest problem or the most common problem that you see with people who are the one person business? Yeah, it's, it's such a good question, Matt. And I think something we see a lot is this. Well, it's probably two things that really stand out. One is this kind of imposter syndrome thing. And, and what I mean by that is that people really struggle with articulating and understanding their own value. And that impacts everything they do. Because on one hand, what it means is that they don't necessarily charge enough. They don't necessarily position themselves in the right way to attract the right sort of clients that will grow their business effectively. But it also means that they struggle to believe that anybody can do what they do as well as them. So they really struggle to let go because deep down they don't really feel confident as managers. They don't feel confident as leaders. They're really good at what they do. So if if you're somebody that has a, I don't know, a cleaning business, for instance, and you're you're going in and doing commercial cleaning, for example, can be really, really nice. But they'll be doing the cleaning rather than employing cleaners. And, and this is where I, I think there's a real block sometimes with, with business, not necessarily growth, but with scaling, with exiting from the business is that you, you are the person who does everything. You're, you're the CEO down to the janitor, down to the T-boy, down to the marketer, the bookkeeper, the sales expert, except you, the only thing you're any good at there is making the tea. And I think that's where a lot of businesses struggle. They don't 
take on board the help that's available to them and they're constantly trying to do everything themselves and that's a real block. I talked about this a little bit in the book I wrote. It's called Flattening the Hamster Wheel and it's for businesses who are kind of stuck. And I mentioned this this topic but I actually heard it, the, the, this phrase from Roland Frazier runs a business lunch podcast. He called it the dancing bear syndrome. I don't know if you've heard that one before, but it's you're the dancing bear and that's the money's coming in as long as the bear keeps dancing. But as soon as you stop dancing, the money stops coming in. And that's a problem, right? It is a problem. Some, somebody, one of my clients actually expressed this in a really, I thought was a really cool way. He, he said the problem is, is that we've got, it's the Labrador principle. So you could you could exchange Labrador for Golden Retriever or whatever, but those dogs are perm- permanently hungry, and and they're permanently hungry because there's like a, a thing in their brain that basically says if I don't eat now, I may never get a chance to eat again. So all I'm going to do is eat, 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 eat constantly, and then they get really fat and die. But that's a different thing. But the, the, the business owners entrepreneurs, especially when they're starting out or they're on their own, they can be a little bit like that. They'll say yes to everybody. You know, if you have a pulse, I'll have your money. And, and there's there's almost this kind of perception that as long as I am working, as long as I am in the business and I am delivering, then the business must be okay. And, and that's not always the case because you, you you talked about the, pan, the, the hamster wheel and flattening. And I love that term. I'm going to steal that. I love, I love the flattening of the hamster wheel. We, we were chatting about this yesterday. <laughs> it's great. And we were chatting about this yesterday to, to, with some clients. And actually, it's, it's about having, you know, for me, entrepreneurialism is about having a number of hamster wheels that you're just nudging so they keep turning. But other people are inside the wheels, not you. Yeah, that's a good analogy. I like the, there's a, a marketing method. Most people are familiar with sales funnels, right? But the kind of newer terminology is the sales flywheel. And that's a flywheel is a wheel where you're not constantly putting power to it. You're only putting power to it once in a while to keep it spinning, right? And the sales flywheel is a system where you're not just going down from a large group of people and narrowing it down to find your customer. It's how can I get a customer that also helps generate more customers so that you get exponential growth instead of incremental growth? Sort of the same idea as nudging all the different wheels, right? Yeah, I think so. And I think coming back to the marketing piece with the flywheel, I love that principle because you're right. If you can get people to be advocates, be ambassadors, referral partners, whatever you want to call them, because you're delivering a great product and you're nudging them at the right time, you can create Pinch points. So we kind of have our funnel based around the principle of time. So there are only three opportunities within the year to come into our business. So all of our work is based around delivery to our existing customers without being distracted by trying to find new customers. And then three times a year, we will hit that flywheel and we will talk to our existing clients, our existing members, and we will let them know that doors are opening and remind them. And hey, go and tell your friends because here's the opportunity for them to benefit from what we're doing with them as you've benefited. And if our own clients aren't selling us on our behalf, then we're doing something wrong. And and having that as a sort of cyclical cyclical um, process seems to be working really well because you get distracted by doing everything all at the same time. Now, there's a question that I get related to this pretty often, and I wanted to ask you the same question. I might be a little out of left field, but 
a lot of times people will say, I don't want to refer this, you know, business coach or the place providing this service to me because I don't want other people getting this kind of secret sauce that I have, right? It's, I don't want to, I don't want to refer people because I don't want them getting the advantage that I'm taking advantage of. Do you have that happen in your system? I think so. I don't know so. I think so. I think there's an element of, certainly in my space, there's two things going on. You're right. I think people go, oh my God, this is, this is, this is a secret. It's a bit like Fight Club. Nobody talks about Fight Club. You know, first rule of Fight Club. You don't talk about Fight Club. And it, it's a little bit like that, is that people kind of find us and they go, we love this community. We love being part of this drive. And all, all of this is unconscious. And if we tell lots of other people around it, then it's no longer unique. I'm no longer special. Do you know what I mean? And I, I, think, I think that's very, very true. I think people do try and keep really cool things to themselves. Uh, <laughs> and but we, all, we all think as marketers, well, surely they'll want to share it. <laughs> right. So I think there's, there's, there's a psychological effect there of, you know, scarcity, right? Which I think marketers overuse scarcity principles too much. But, you know, if you, if you sell your system with scarcity where get it before it's all gone and then people get into it, of course, they don't want to tell anyone because it's already, you've, you've told them that it's scarce, right? You've said, look at this scarce resource that you want to get a part of and you get into it. And then they're like, share it with everyone. Well, why would I share it with everyone if it's scarce? Right. So, I mean, that's just me guessing on, on how that works, but uh, we haven't tested that theory or anything. I think there is something in that because if I, if I go back to, you know, my, my earlier business in, in tennis coaching uh, and anyone who's been, you know, has got kids who have been to sport camps and stuff like that, they'll know that there's a window of opportunity that, that relates to the school terms when coaches will let the kids in if you like. We were really, really strong on it. So once term has started, we gave kids one week to test it and make sure that they were happy. And we would, once once week one was done, other kids couldn't come in because we didn't want them to upset the dynamic. Not because we were playing the scarcity card, but because we just genuinely wanted to focus on those people who had made the decision. Because if we were having to be distracted by onboarding new kids and finding who they were and integrating them into the classroom. I mean, could you imagine in a school if kids could join the school year at any time, how chaotic that would be? Yeah, I mean, you need to have a special circumstance, you know, for kids to kind of join like somebody moved or something. You don't just let kids come whenever they want. And I, yeah, I understand that there needs to be a schedule around things, but I think, you know, there's another idea that I think works exceptionally well that, that has been studied. And like Jay Bear has a book that he wrote on it called Talk Triggers. And the talk trigger is a referral mechanism, right? And this is sort of that flywheel principle, right? A talk trigger is a way to facilitate that touching the several hamster wheels to keep them spinning. So example of a fly uh, or a, of a talk trigger, there's a bunch of them, but kind of one of my favorite ones is there's this um, bar in Montana that constantly gets rated as, as one of the best bars in the United States. Or, you know, if you're going to visit 10 bars in the world in your life, this is one of the 10 kind of thing. And it's just a hole in the wall tavern in the middle of nowhere. The food is not exceptional. The drinks are not exceptional. But at nine o'clock every night, there's a swimming pool outside and lights come on and they have a live mermaid show. 
and the live <laughs> mermaid shows the talk trigger, right? Nobody goes to the bar and sees a bunch of women dressed up as mermaids swimming around in the pool outside and doesn't tell someone about it, right? And it's original, it's repeatable, it's cost-effective, right? So there's all these things that make a good talk trigger. But those are the kinds of things. And obviously you can't be, you know, you're not going to be a freelance massage therapist and have a, a, a mermaid show, right? I mean, you have to have something that's for your own industry. But there's there's all kinds of examples. Depends on the massage, I guess. But That's right. Depends what kind of massage. But there's, uh, yeah, I mean, there's tons of talk triggers. Like there's one that gets used a lot that you hear about, about uh, differentiation in your business is actually a talk trigger. And there's a hotel in California where there's a red phone next to the swimming pool. And at any time, any person can pick up the phone and somebody answers and says, popsicle hotline. And you tell them how many popsicles of what flavor you want. And a person with white gloves and a silver tray and a cloche over the top comes out and serves popsicles poolside for free. And everybody <laughs> raves about the place, right? But the hotel's no different. It doesn't have a different swimming pool than anywhere else. It's not any nicer than anywhere else. But it has, you know, a thousand five-star reviews, has more five-star reviews than the nicest hotels in, in the United States because of the popsicle hotline. So anyways, I thought I'd bring that up. I love that. I love that. If somebody is there in their business, you know, they're in the day-to-day operations of things, do you have some suggestions kind of to get people started on kind of changing their mindset around how their business can grow? Yeah, I, I guess so. Uh, I say I guess so. I know so. I, I, I think <laughs> <laughs> the first thing that I think is always quite impactful for people to recognize is it's coming back to what I said before, is to really recognize and understand your own value to the business. What are you worth to the business? So a question I will often ask people is, if you were an employee in your own business and you looked, so if you were employing yourself and you were having a one-to-one with yourself and you looked at where that employee, i.e. you, had been spending their time, would you be comfortable paying them every month for the work that they're doing? Are they doing the work that you asked them, you know, that you brought them in to do? Because actually when business owners look really hard at where they're spending their time and the things that they are doing, most of the time, most of the activity is what I call kind of frivolous activity. It's stuff that arguably costs the business money. And when you understand what your worth to the business is, so if if somebody wants to, I don't know, $100,000, $100,000 a year from their business, and they brought somebody in and paid them $100,000, and they watched them do what the business owner currently does, they'd probably sack them quite quickly. And it's really identifying what what is your role in the business? What what do you actually bring? You know, is, is it the service? Because let's use your example of massage therapists, and I don't mean to offend the massage therapists, but there are tens if not hundreds of thousands of massage therapists out there there are very few massage therapists who are excellent at growing a massage therapist business providing an environment where other massage therapists can thrive within that environment and therefore serve more people you know because that massage therapist has has learned how to be a massage therapist not how to be a salesperson not how to be a marketer not how to be a, an investor a financier and so on and so forth so you've got to work out what what are your 
high value skills that you bring to the business. And that's often things that most business owners think aren't worthy of their time or that they're too busy for. You really should come to this networking event and and grow your, you know, grow your network. I haven't got time to network. How how many phone calls have you made today to prospects? Well, I haven't got time to call people. Have you updated your website so it's reflective of what you're doing today rather than five years ago? Well, I haven't got time to do my website. So they're the things that are going to make the difference. You know, if you if you don't have a, a marketing presence, if you don't have a sales funnel to follow that up, if you don't have a, a way of articulating your value to prospects, you're you're constantly going to be on that hamster wheel of trying to find work, deliver it, find work, deliver it. As soon as you recognize that actually this is my role in the business, and part of that is about leading other people. They don't have to be full-time. They can be other freelancers. They can be part-time. I mean, I've got a team of seven or eight people. None of them work for me full-time, but we are a team and everybody knows their role. My role is to do things like this, be the face of the business and to lead them in the right way so they do their jobs as effectively as possible. Right. Absolutely agree. And you know, there's so many things in there to unpack, but I think a really good example is, and this actually, my wife wrote a book. She used to be, she was a dog groomer, then she managed dog grooming shops, and then she became a corporate trainer for a national chain of dog grooming shops about how to run dog grooming shops. And easily, every single person that she ever coached on managing a dog grooming shop, they could grow their business usually anywhere from 10 to 30% by doing one thing, And that was pre-booking the next appointment when somebody came in before they left. So when somebody came in, and you can do this with massage, you can do it with haircuts, you can do it with nail appointments, you can do it with service calls for HVAC, right? I mean, there's all almost every industry you could do it. And when you come in, you just make sure before you leave that you get a date on on the calendar for them to come in again. Even if they say, I don't know if I can make it, let me put one on, I'll send you a reminder, you know, and if you can't make it, we'll reschedule then. But getting it on the calendar, grow your business as much as 30%. You know, simple as that. No, you're totally right. Because I worked with a client a couple of years ago and they were in soft furnishing cleaning. So they clean sofas, floors, carpets, rugs, that sort of stuff. And in their industry, certainly in the UK, nobody takes deposits in their their line of work. So I said to them, we'll take deposits. And, and they were like, well, we can't do that because nobody in the industry does that. And I said, well, it doesn't mean that you have to follow everybody in the industry. Why don't you just ask? So when you finish an appointment, say, right, this, this sofa needs to be done in nine months time again to keep it in the best, you know, position yourself as the expert, tell people what they need to do, and they will listen to you as an expert. So this sofa needs to be done again in nine months time or whatever. Let's book it in now. Not shall we book it in now. Let's book it in now. When's good for you? Okay, I just need a 10% deposit. So yes, you increase the size of the business, the frequency of bookings, because the best people to be taking bookings from is your existing customers, because it doesn't cost you anything. Absolutely. New customers cost a fortune. So go, go out and sell more to your existing ones. But if you can get a deposit, what does that do to your cash flow? That's excellent. And money now is worth more than money later. Oh, completely, because you've got you've got cash leverage. Now you can take that money and use it for marketing and, you know, increasing your capacity, getting new staff in more vans, equipment, whatever it is. So your your customer base is paying for you to now scale. Right. 
And if you want to secure that future business, then it doesn't necessarily have to be a deposit. You could be in another industry. Like if you want to keep using the massage one, for example, you can say, oh, did you know that you could book a package of your next three massages and, you know, save 5%. Yeah. Or book five and we'll give you six free. Right. And now you can pre-book them all. Right. And you can also do things like, you know, let's say that your massage business is you have busy times, right, which are usually early evenings and uh, and your weekends slots. Right. But you're dead on Mondays and Tuesdays during the day. You can say, let's pre-book these. And then, you know, here's here's a coupon. If you book three massages, here's a coupon you can use to get a free massage any Monday or Tuesday of the month kind of thing. Right. And then you could fill those gaps, you know, in your schedule. You can also have discounts for those days when you're not busy or you can schedule time block those times on your calendar to do things like follow up, prospecting, business networking, right? You're not going to, you don't have anybody coming in anyway, <laughs> you know, on Monday morning for a massage. So there's, there's a, a pub, I call it a pub. It's a pub stroke restaurant up the road from us, walking distance, beautiful. You cannot get a table on a Friday night, Saturday night, always really, really busy. Sunday lunches, you know, beautiful roasts, all the rest of it. Monday nights, they're dead. So, and, and, and as many restaurants are on a Monday night. So they do on a Monday night, they do steak night. Now everybody loves a bit of steak, unless you're vegetarian. I, I appreciate that. But every, most people like a bit of steak and they do really, really good steak. So Monday night is steak night. And it's a third off all stakes and it's bring your own. So straight away, people are going, okay, when I normally have a steak meal here on a Friday night, Saturday night, it's a hundred pounds a head, nice steak, starter, good bottle of wine. Suddenly that's become a third off the steak and I can bring my own bottle of wine. And it's suddenly 25, 30 quid a head on a Monday night. And it's probably not hugely profitable for them. But what it is doing is covering their costs for that day and probably the day after. Because getting getting Monday night, steak night, you've got to book four weeks in advance. It's become the new Thursday night, steak night in that pub. And you got to pay the rent anyway, whether anybody comes in or not. you got to pay your rent. You've got to pay your staff. You've got to turn the lights on. You know, you've got to pay your chefs. You, you might as well find a way of covering, you know, getting contribution, contribution costs in. Right. So what do you think is with freelancers, especially maybe stepping away from, you know, the the service based like brick and mortar type businesses in the marketing realm? I see a lot of freelancers and stuff spend a ton of time on social media and I just I see very few of them doing it in a way that has any tangible benefit. Do you think that that kind of social media answering email, that kind of time could be better spent somewhere else? Or do you think, you know, that's that's kind of a crutch for businesses, right? It seems like you're doing work, but you're not really. <laughs> I don't know if you get what I'm saying, but I I do get what you're saying. A hundred percent. I think the, the the challenge is, okay, so here's the thing. The, the less time I spend on social media, the more work we get from social media. Because when, when I go onto it, I get distracted by other things on social media. But when I get somebody else to do my social media, they're focused on one thing. And that's leveraging my social media as effectively as possible with the time that I'm paying them for. So it becomes hyper-focused. And, and I think you, you, you've, you've touched on something that 
is kind of endemic in many ways is that when you go onto social media, all you see is other people doing really, really well. You see, you see the highlights reel of everybody's life and business life. So the assumption is, well, these guys who are doing really well, they're on social media. So I have to be on social media as well. I, if I just copy what they do, I'll be okay. And I'm not saying that it won't work, but it, most social media takes a long time to gain decent traction for ordinary business owners. And you're fighting so much noise. You know, it's, it's like not a needle in a haystack. It's trying to find one needle against hundreds of other needles. It's, 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 it's really, really difficult. It comes back to kind of basic marketing, doesn't it? If your market is on social media, then do it. But which social media channel are they on? Most people go, oh, I need to do social media because that's where I'm going to get work from. Because people aren't, haven't spent enough time truly understanding where their prospects hang out. It has to be about understanding your market first. And once you understand who your market is, then you can decide what you want to say to them. And then that should lead you to having the right channel to be able to have those conversations or those discussions or make that noise that you want to make in front of them. Otherwise, it's just distraction. It's one of my pet, pet hates. Right. And testing, right? Yeah. If you're going to go on Facebook to get clients, are you signing up to make three posts a week on Facebook for the rest of your life? Or are you saying, I'm going to do three posts a week for three months about these specific topics and see how many clients it generates? And if the answer is zero, then three posts a week of what you're doing is not working. You need to do something else, right? Or it could be another platform. Maybe the content that you're doing is not hitting. You know, I'll tell you right now, I don't want to give away the farm on every secret that there is about being a freelancer, but this stuff bothers me because I see people all the time and I see that they're just throwing money in the garbage because there's an opportunity cost. And you spoke about this a little bit earlier, right? If you are doing one thing, instead of doing something that's a higher value, then you're losing money, right? If I do my own bookkeeping, and my bookkeeper charges $40 an hour, but I bill out at $150 an hour. Every hour I work on bookkeeping, I'm losing $110, right? So you have that opportunity cost. Have you read my book? <laughs> <laughs> I, I haven't yet, actually. But maybe our books are pretty similar. <laughs> so if you have opportunity cost, right, and then you combine that with what, people are doing on social media as freelancers, usually they're either having, you know, these sort of like just related to their business information, but it's information that no one really cares about. You can post something like that twice a month and you'll do just as well as if you post it twice a week because you just need enough that people know that you're still there and you're open, right? If nobody cares about the topic of the content, then it, it doesn't really matter. However, if you're using social media correctly for your business, if you're a freelancer, then what you should be doing is talking about problems that people have and commenting on how you have solutions to those problems or showing them solutions to problems that they already have that will lead them to be more in your court, right? Start that relationship as long as you're going to actually have a relationship with them after, right? not just give them the secrets to how to solve stuff and then never talk to them again. Or, you know, in service-based industries, it could be stuff like we have extra capacity right now. If you need X, Y, Z, you know, we have extra room to do that right now. Or, you know, 
we get so busy between June and August that, you know, if you want a fence or a deck, our contractors are going to be busy. You need to book three months ahead. But I got time in April and May right now if you want it done early. You know, that's a good use of, of social media to, to let people know things like capacity problems, overflow, sales, clearance, all these kind of things. If you're doing an event, a project, you're involved in some kind of charity work or like when we opened Hook Digital Marketing Canada, we had a contest, a beach cleanup contest, where every time somebody follows us, we go out and we clean up garbage off the beach. They don't have to go do it. We do it for them. That's something people care about. They want clean beaches, right? They, the people are, you know, environmentally positive, right? That's something people care about. What people don't care about is, oh, you know, I sent a press release this week, right? No one gives a shit, right? Anyways, that's my soapbox talk on social media and opportunity cost. But I, but I think it's, it's, we alluded to the point earlier, it's about any marketing channel will work if you understand your market and the problems or the aspirational desires that your market has. And if you can talk about those things and hook them in in that way and offer them a solution or a path to that desire, they're, they're going to take notice. But you have to do it on the right platform in a strategic way, not just making noise. There's already enough noise. There's too much noise. Isn't there? <laughs> Most of the internet is garbage. I don't know if how many episodes of the podcast you've listened to, but I talk about that all the time. Most of the stuff on the internet is crap. It's spam. It's blog posts that are crappy that nobody's ever going to read. It's people self-serving crap that nobody cares about. It's bait and switch tactics. Like there is so much junk on the internet compared to the stuff that's actually going to have a connection with people, right? You want to be the connector. You don't want to be another person just pouring buckets of garbage into the ocean of the internet, right? And it, people are dying for connection, right? And they're literally dying for a connection right now. They've been stuck in their houses. Like you and I talked before the show a little bit about lockdowns and stuff, right? And a lot of people have had no more than Zoom conversations and, you know, maybe a few people in their kind of, you know, local huddle kind of thing of any contact with other people, you know, people are, are just dying to connect with you. So, you know, reach out, you know, my favorite, I, I, I wrote a course called email inbox mastery. It's an email marketing course. You know, my favorite email to send is it says, how can I help you? Let me know. Just reply to this email. No pictures, no links, no videos, no fancy tricks, no fancy subject lines and crap. Just how can I help you? That generates more business than any other email I've ever seen. Yeah, my favorite one is, how are you? And then the first line is, no, really, how are you? Right. That's a good one, too. Let people know that you actually want to talk to them. Yeah. And, and, and but the follow up to that that I think is really important and I appreciate this is a, a digital marketing conversation to a degree or marketing, but how... Often do people pick up the phone because I know when I pick up the phone and I talk to people, stuff happens. You know, it may not be a sale, but it could be a connection. It could be a, oh, have you met this person? Let me introduce you. Now, that's a really difficult thing to do via email, via social media, et cetera. But it's very easy to do when you're having a conversation about, you know, how's your dog? And, you know, he was at the vet two weeks ago. Is he OK? And just when you actually develop relationships with people and talk to them, they trust you. 
they, they get to know you, they get to like you. And that engagement is really difficult to hide, to, to lie about. And for, for freelancers, for those guys who are kind of selling their own time for money, that, that, you know, that building those relationships is the best way to market effectively. I'm not convinced that social media is anymore. I suspect eight, nine years ago it was, but it, there's so much of it going on. It's too difficult to really genuinely, you know, broker proper relationships with people who are going to feel confident with doing business with you and sharing what you do with other people as well. Yeah, I think you need to take it off the social media platform or at least to something like Messenger or, you know, Slack rooms or phone, you know, whatever, depending upon how technology fluent they are, yeah, WhatsApp or or even something like Clubhouse or Twitter Spaces or whatever the new one Facebook just started betaing yesterday. I can't even remember the name of it now. It's basically Clubhouse with video, right? And all those platforms are just based on Blab from six years ago anyway. But I digress a little bit on that. <laughs> so if somebody wants to reach out to you to learn a little bit more about you do or find out some more about your coaching program, how would they get a hold of you? So that's really easy. Uh, the website is www.thebusinessclubhouse.co.uk. That has a link to the book and they label people to just, you know, my blog. I hope it's not taking up too much noise on the internet. My, my view on the world is on there, a link to the book, you know, how we work, all the rest of it. But that, that's the easiest thing to do is everything funnels through that website that we do. Nice. Ash Taylor. And the business clubhouse.co.uk. Ash, thank you so much for being on the show. And I think we can help a lot of freelancers kind of jump off that hamster wheel. <laughs> yeah, we'll flatten it, as you say. <laughs> That's right. Flatten the hamster wheel, also available on Amazon or wherever you buy good books. This has been Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. For notes and a transcript of this episode, go to hookseo.com forward slash podcast. Join us next week as we dive into more tips and ideas to grow your business. Digital Marketing Masters is brought to you by Hook SEO Digital Marketing. Our show is produced by Matthew Rouse and Scott Burson. Mixed and edited by Silent Outburst Productions. I'm your announcer, Daniel D. Craig. We would love to hear your thoughts. Please leave us an honest review with your podcast provider. Your reviews help us help more business leaders just like you.